This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you as always. Our three of Freestyle Friday is upon us. You can call in with your questions, comments, uh, anything you got in mind, including Action Movie Friday quotes. Bring it. Let's see what you got. But first, we have Mark. Pendergrass with us now. He is the author of the book For God, Country, and Coca-Cola, The Definitive History of the Great American Soft Drink and the Company That Makes It. Mark, great to have you. Very interesting book. Thank you. Glad you've been enjoying it. So uh, so, so tell us a bit about, uh, about, about Coca-Cola and this, I mean, this book, which you very kindly sent to me, is, uh, what is it? I'm trying to get the full... It, about 500 pages, give or take, of the history of this iconic American company. A lot of fascinating information in here. Walk us through a bit of the history of Coca-Cola. Well, I love the early history. Uh, Coke was invented by a guy named John Pemberton in Atlanta, Georgia, in 1886. And it had a little bit of, you know, it was named Coca-Cola because the two principal drug ingredients were coca leaf, which has a little bit of cocaine in it, and cola nut from Africa, which has uh, caffeine in it. Uh, Nowadays, people don't think about that too much. The cocaine was taken out in uh, 1903, or at least most of it, uh, although coca leaf is still used uh, to make Uh, Coca-Cola. The company has the right to import whole coca leaf uh, into Maywood, New Jersey, where it's uh, decocainized before it's used in, in the drink. But, you know, what's interesting so wait, is... Is, is cocaine that a byproduct of, the, of making Coca-Cola still? In a sense, yes, it is, because they take the cocaine out before they uh, use the fluid extract of coca leaf. So it's done under government supervision. Uh, a lot of it is used in uh, medicine. Uh, cocaine is actually uh, used in its pure form uh, in some operations. Um, but a lot of it is, is destroyed or, or used in experimentation with animals or whatever. Um, what's interesting is Pemberton himself thought cocaine was a wonder drug at the same time that Sigmund Freud was reading the same articles and thought it was a wonder drug, and a lot of people did. Um, And Coca-Cola was called a nerve tonic. There there was this theory at the time that um, that a very, uh, it was kind of a disease du jour was called neurasthenia, 
And the idea was they had just discovered the whole nervous system a couple of decades before. People thought that you had a finite amount of nervous energy, and if you used it up because you were a high-power businessman or a sensitive woman, you needed some kind of uh, drug product to, to make you better, and, and that's what Coca-Cola was. It was also uh, supposed to be good for headaches, um, or stomach aches, and it actually is. <laughs> it is. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, it is good for that. Go ahead. <laughs> but what happened was uh, Pemberton himself was a morphine addict, and he was interested in cocaine as a way to get off that habit, which uh, it failed to cure him of. And he died uh, of stomach cancer uh, and his addiction. Um uh, just to be clear, I meant Coca-Cola is good for headaches. Sorry, everybody. The caffeine in it, which replaced the cocaine. Pardon me. That's right. The Coca-Cola, right. well, having coffee or take or drinking Coke when you have a headache can be very useful. Not in the original form. I'm not advocating that. Go ahead. Sorry. That's right. Well, you know, the original form, it was a very mild amount of, of, of cocaine. It wasn't what you'd get from from a street hit or anything like that. And I'm well, not I, sure I assume that it probably is. would have a similar effect to caffeine, which does, uh, what is it, dilate the blood vessels, especially around the head, which is why caffeine is, is good. Caffeine is in migraine medicine. Anyway, go ahead, sir. Sorry yes, to interrupt. it is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wrote this, this book about coffee also, uh, about caffeine. So I'm, I'm a big caffeine fan. But I chewed coca leaf when I was in Peru, and they give you coca leaf tea. And it's pretty mild. Uh, I, th I think that what's bad about it is when you concentrate it artificially. At any rate, be that as it may, Pemberton died. And the drink would have probably died with him had not another pharmacist named Asa Candler gotten hold of it. And he's the one, along with uh, an unsung hero named Frank Robinson, who, who had worked with Pemberton, who made the drink famous. And in the 1890s, they began to get letters from women saying, would you please stop advertising this as a medicine? Because I just like this stuff, and I don't want to have to feel like I'm sick. Uh, to, to uh, drink it. And they began to get away from the medical claims and more say that it was delicious and refreshing, which is, they had always said that, but they, were, they, they shifted the focus. And then when the Spanish-American War came, the U.S. government wanted to uh, tax Coca-Cola as a medicine. And Coke said, no, 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 it's not a medicine. It's just a soft drink. And they won their case. So that was. there were a lot of reasons. Another reason they took the cocaine out was that it was a southern beverage. And there was, during the Jim Crow racist era, when black people were getting lynched frequently, there were these rumors that the cocaine and Coca-Cola was making uh, black men crazed and they were raping white women and killing their bosses. And because it had begun to be uh, bottled by then, recently, um, it was more of a democratic drink that anybody could, could get. And that was another reason why they, they took the cocaine out of it. So a lot of this history is entwined with the social era and with the social issues of their time. Uh, I don't think we're going to have time to go through a whole lot of it, but... You know, it was entwined with, with uh, and still is, with health concerns. Uh, Coke is blamed a lot for the obesity epidemic. Uh, with environmental concerns, at one point they had uh, purchased about one-third of the landmass of Belize in order to uh, cut down the rainforest and grow orange oranges for Minute Maid, which they own. 
uh, and they ended up not being able to do that and donating it uh, very graciously uh, as a national park. So Coca-Cola, you know, it's just this, it's a non-essential product. It's mostly sugar water with this great mystical magic formula, which I found a copy of and have in the back of my book. Um, but it really Wait, so the Coca-Cola formula is no longer a secret? It, no, it's not a secret. Uh, it's sitting in my book. <laughs> um, Look at that. I, I thought they still kept that thing under wraps. I didn't know anything. Well, they do keep it under wraps, and, of course, they said, no, that's not the real formula. The formula that I have is the original formula, and they have changed it in one degree or another since then. Uh, it has... As I pointed out, it doesn't have cocaine in it anymore. But they also reduced the amount of caffeine by half. They changed the kind of acid they use in it. But, but it's essentially the, the same. Uh, and it has the 7X formula in there, which is the seven essential uh, uh, oils that they put in. What, what is the connection, by the way, between – and we, we do have a few minutes, Mark, if you do. So I wanted to ask you for a couple of – sure. a little more on some of the specifics in the chapters here. Um, there's yeah. a connection, isn't there? We had a we had a Christmas expert on recently who said that your sort of visual or your visual conception of Santa Claus is tied to the Coca-Cola company. Oh, absolutely! In in 1931, the company hired an artist named Haddon Sunblom to create uh, some ads with uh, Santa Claus in them. And at first, he used a retired Coke salesman, but when he died, he used himself as the model for Santa Claus, who was a big, jolly guy who always wore red, Coca-Cola red, and who loved not only cookies and milk, but Coca-Cola. And that really determined our image of, of what Santa Claus looks like. Until then, St. Nick was tall and gaunt and sometimes wore orange uh, or yellow or blue, uh, and from then on, he was always a big fat, or he was a little elf, like in the, the, the poem that we all know from the late 19th century. So, yeah, Coke determined that. What's more interesting and what people don't usually think about is the reason that they wanted to do this was that in 1912, the U.S. government had sued Coca-Cola and almost put them out of business. And they were suing them over the fact that they had this drink that had a drug in it, you know, caffeine. Uh, which they were giving to children, and they thought that was bad. So ever since then, Coca-Cola never showed a child under the age of 12 drinking Coca-Cola. Uh, but that didn't mean they didn't want to attract young consumers. They realized that if you can get people addicted to your product young, that that's a good thing. So Santa Claus was part of, part of uh, that process of appealing to children, which they were masters at so santa in a sense because he's wearing coca-cola red is was almost turned in the in the sort of western imagination into a coca-cola mascot well yes when i was a child growing up in atlanta uh <clears throat> we had a little foot tall stuffed stuffed santa claus who held a, a very small coca-cola in his hand and I just went to my cousin's house for Christmas in Atlanta, and lo and behold, there it was. <laughs> the same little Santa Claus holding a miniature Coke bottle. I love that. Uh, you know, it's, it's a big When did the company, when did the company become this 
this this global behemoth, by the way. I mean, you mentioned uh, owning a third of Belize. When did because Coca Cola now owns a tremendous amount of of other brands and companies, right? I mean, it's it's huge yeah, currently yeah. and has been for some well, time. Until un, until 1955, they only had one product, and it was uh, one size. It was a six and a half ounce hobble skirt bottle of Coca-Cola, unless it was in a soda fountain. So it's only been since then that they, they've they expanded. Uh, first they had uh, uh, Fanta and then Sprite and now all kinds of other products. Interesting thing is they, they were spreading around the world, particularly after World War II, because during the war, Coca-Cola managed to get itself exempted from sugar rationing, whereas Pepsi did not. And I have a whole chapter in there uh, called The $4,000 Bottle about uh, Coca-Cola's being available to the servicemen during World War II. At government expense, they paid for Coca-Cola men to be dressed in Army uniforms, shipped overseas, and to they uh, set up 64 bottling plants behind the lines because Coca-Cola was deemed to be an essential morale booster for the troops, that if they could get a hold of a bottle of Coca-Cola, it would really lift their spirits because it would remind them of home and what they were fighting for. And it did. It, there's no question. It, it really was an essential morale booster. But it also meant that the GI and his bottle of Coca-Cola became highly symbolic of a way of life, and it launched them internationally in a big way, but it also uh, made them the subject of communist propaganda and aggression and spreading rumors that it was bad for you, etc. So it's just fascinating. I also have a chapter called Coca-Cola Uber Alice about Coca-Cola being inside Nazi Germany, even while it was supposed to be this great patriotic drink. <laughs> so it's just an amazing, amazing story. I mean, Coca-Cola is the second best-known word on Earth after OK. It is the single most widely distributed product on Earth. It, it's, it's just an astonishing story, particularly when it's really a non-essential uh, product. Mark Pendergrass is the author of Uncommon Grounds and also, which is the book on coffee, and also now uh, For God, Country, and Coca-Cola, the, the Definitive History of the Great American Soft Drink and the Company that Makes It, available now on Amazon.com. I have a copy. I am reading it. I recommend you do, too. Mark, thanks so much for joining us again. Great to have you. Thank you. Take care. Uh, team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645.
dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we got some calls. Let's take them. Uh, Steve in Michigan, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, Buck. Thanks for taking Happy my New call Year to you. everything. Uh, I'm here. I'm here. Hello? Yeah, yeah, we're talking to you, buddy. What's up? Oh, okay, sorry. I'm surprised political correctness isn't killing the uh, housewives of the real ISIS here uh, because... Well, they're trying to. There's a lot of outrage in the U.K. over it, so... Yeah, and just, I think it was before you went on vacation, maybe you touched on this, uh, University of Maryland did not want to, uh, a few Muslim people there, students didn't want the showing of American sniper there because they said it would be create problems and tensions for the Muslim population on campus. So political correctness is doing its best to to kill that movie being shown on campus. Uh, and I just, you know, where does it stop, so to speak? But I got a movie quote for you. All right, let's hear it. What do you got? Okay, see if I can get this right and everything. We have a bright star alert. Repeat, we have a bright star alert. Uh, and I don't know. What is it? Uh, True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, your hero. Oh, man, a bright star alert? When does he say that? I know True Lies pretty well. Well, uh, it came right after he got back to the uh, the Keys there, or got back uh, off the island that he... Oh, oh, is that that's like the code word for the, there's a nuke inside the United States? Yeah, or either one, uh, you know, a threat, imminent threat of one going off and all. And uh, so he said that, but you talk about political correctness. When that movie came out, and that was about 94 or 95, I just saw it not too long ago on one of the old movie channels, there was some blowback on that movie from the Arab population. I mean, now they call them Muslims, but some, you know, Arab population bunch said, hey, that's making us look like all a bunch of terrorists and everything, and we aren't, you know, blah, blah, blah. I remember they called it uh, Crimson, Crimson Jihad. The guy had like a yeah. like sort of. Oh no! Did he have a British accent or no? He's a British actor, but he had a, he actually had this sort of uh, Arab accent. But yeah, Crimson Jihad. I remember that. Right, right, and all, and and there was like I said some blowback. But bear in mind that came out after the first Trade Center bombing, and it may have came out after the uh, Kobar Towers bombing in Saudi Arabia. I mean, to me, my feeling is that movie wouldn't get to first base this day or age. That's oh, no, that, that's true of a lot of movies, by the way. Go back and watch the Delta Force movies. They have oh, a lot yeah. of guys who are sort of swarthy and uh, and clearly of, of Muslim background, you know, uh, like beating priests and nuns on the airplane. And I mean, it's crazy, like the stuff that it, it, you'd never get away with that now. Plus, you'd never get away with Chuck Norris wearing a cut-off jean jacket uh, with no sleeves, I guess it's a jean vest then, but a cut-off jean vest with a micro Uzi in each hand riding a motorcycle, you, you wouldn't get away with that either, I don't think. Oh, for sure, and everything. How times they haven't changed. Yeah, man. All right, Stephen, Michigan, Shield Time, man. Great to hear from you. Thank you for calling in. Uh, we got a little more time here. Let's do Jim in Ohio. What's up, buddy? Jim in Ohio? With Bueller? I'm here. I'm here. There we go. What's up, buddy? There we go. I want to disagree with uh, your guest earlier talking about bourbon. Um, I'm from Cincinnati, so I've done the bourbon trail. I'm intimately uh, acquainted with bourbon. Um, bourbon is a Kentucky-only uh, product because they use a specific kind of limestone water to make it. 
legally you can call other things bourbon, but the people who make bourbon in Kentucky are going to disagree with you very strongly about that. Huh. Uh, I was unaware of that. What's your favorite bourbon? Ever in uh, Four Roses, actually. Four, Four Roses. Roses is not too expensive. It's tasty, and the the uh, distillery is like an hour from my house. So if you're ever in Cincinnati, the Bourbon Trail in Kentucky is awesome. So, or if you're in Louisville or Lexington, I guess. But all right, you get to all right, visit all right, the cool. I will, I will check it out, Jim. Thanks for the Four Roses, Rex. Shield time, my man. Have a great weekend. Uh, thanks for hanging with the show. And, of course, we'll see you again on Monday and next week and thereafter. Um, team, we've got a lot to chat about coming up here, including how to survive any number of difficult, life-threatening situations, zombie apocalypse, nuclear holocaust, getting lost in the woods. Get that and more coming up here on Freestyle Friday. Back in a few. Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. Blaze Radio Network. Well, team, I promised on this one, and now I intend to deliver. How do you handle, how do you survive very dangerous uh, and life-threatening situations here? We've got somebody who can talk us through a bunch of scenarios. Creek Stewart. He's a survival expert and lead instructor at the Willow Haven Outdoor Survival School in central Indiana. He's the author of many books, including Survival Hacks, Over 200 Ways to Use Everyday Items, for Wilderness Survival. Creek, great to have you. Hey, likewise. Great to be on today. Thank you so much, sir. We really appreciate it. So please tell all the folks that are uh, Team Buck here, uh, first off, a zombie apocalypse. Let's just have some fun. How do you survive? A zombie? <laughs> yeah, what are the, it, you, you wake up, you realize that the, the zombie disease or whatever it is is spread all over the place. What do we do? Well, I'll tell you what, I've taught survival skills for almost 20 years, and I am convinced that surviving the zombie apocalypse has to do with choosing your friends. You'd better make sure that you have at least a couple friends in your group who are slower than you are. <laughs> there you go. So it's like it's outrunning the bear. You just need to be faster than the guy <laughs> next right. to you. That's yeah, right. And I have That's to say, right. though, slow-walking zombies way less scarier than the, fat, than the running kind that you get in, for example, 28 days later. So we, we really should specify <laughs> the whether truth? these are... And then there's some zombies that are practically like superhuman in that movie with Will Smith. I forget what it's called. Right, right. You know, the slow ones kind of seem fun. The fast ones, not so much. And you also have some advice in case we ever very unrealistically but amusingly find ourselves in the situation of The Hunger Games. Uh, what, what's your? I, I've only seen one of those movies, but I get the idea. Yeah. What's your advice for surviving The Hunger Games, Creek? Well, they're definitely a survival-themed book series and movie. Um, I actually wrote the book, The Unofficial Hunger Games Wilderness Survival Guides, where I teach all the skills mentioned in that book series. Oh. But, um, you know, The Hunger Games is a wilderness survival scenario with a little bit of, you know, kids chasing kids, uh, you know, to the death type situation. But at the end of the day, it, it's, um, 
it's about wilderness survival, securing your core four basic human survival needs, shelter, water, fire, and food. And I think those four are really at the core of pretty much every survival situation that you can, that you can think of. All right. Now, t- take us through someone is in a situation where they're out in the woods on a hike. They don't have anything. They don't have any gear or anything on them. And all of a sudden you realize you're totally lost and night is falling and you're solo. Yeah. What do you do to survive out in the woods if you're by yourself and you got nothing? Well, I mean, you're in a you're in a tough you're in a tough situation. Most human instinct says to keep moving and self-rescue, try to find your way out of a scenario like that. But the, the best thing to do is really stay put your 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 priorities are based loosely on what we call the three survival rules of three in extreme conditions. You can survive for three hours without shelter, three days without water and three weeks without food. Ironically, most people freak out about food first, you know, but so in a situation like that, you'd want to stay put, stay where you are. Uh, A moving target is harder to find than one that's sitting still. And, um, and you need to find shelter because it's by far your, your most important, survival priority is just getting out of the elements, getting out of the wind, staying dry, and doing your best to regulate core body temperature uh, by either finding or building some kind of shelter, and then start thinking about water. Hypothermia is the thing that's going to get you before thirst or hunger then, so staying warm in that sort of situation is clear. We're assuming you're out in the cold somewhere. I mean, if if you happen to be lost in the tropics, uh, there's probably other things one you got to got to avoid the brightly colored snakes, but you know, I'm a, right. in cold that's, areas that's you got to right. stay warm. How hard is it to make a fire creek? I mean, I've actually never really tried this. I mean, without a lighter, well, obviously, or matches. I mean, it's it's a little tricky, you know. I mean, making a fire with sticks is something that certainly requires practice. You know, if you find yourself in a sudden and unexpected survival scenario and you've never done it before, you're probably not going to get it done in that situation either. Uh, but I've got a lot of really cool kind of fire hacks that um, that would be fun to mention if you've got a second. Yeah, well, what are your fire hacks? Let's do it. Well, I tell you what, fire is my favorite survival skill because, in my opinion, it's the most important of. Did we just lose him? He was about to give us the secret of fire, like Prometheus himself. Creek, buddy. We, we lost <laughs> creeks like all you need to know to stay alive in the woods. I'm going to give you the skills, the tools. Here's how you make. Boop, and we just, he just dropped off. It, was that a Soros thing? I don't know. Maybe Soros realizes the Trump apocalypse is coming. And if we all know how to make fire, we will survive. And his one world government status dreams will all come to naught. I think we need a scarier boogeyman than Soros though. Cause Soros is like, he's just he's getting kind of old now. And I don't really think he's, as much as much of a uh, of a what's the a frightening character as some of the others that are probably out there on the scene right now. Oh, we got him back. All right, you were telling us about fire hacks. We're with Creek Stewart, right. survival expert. So, Creek. All right, fire hacks. Let's go. Okay, so fi- a couple of really cool fire hacks. I don't play the guitar, but you'll never find me without at least three guitar picks in my wallet, and that is because guitar picks are an incredible fire tinder. They are very flammable. They're made from a substance called celluloid. And if you hit one with a match or a lighter or even a spark, if you process it right, it'll burst into a flame. Great waterproof guitar pick. Really? Wow. Yeah, okay. it's crazy. 
And so are ping pong balls. Ping pong balls are made from celluloid too, so they are incredibly flammable as well. Makes a great party trick too. Um, I I will tell you, for those listening also, by the way, I'm a surprisingly good ping pong player, just FYI. Go ahead, Creek. Okay. Well, hey, you know, light one of those on fire there. It's pretty impressive. I I start the ping pong fire when I step up to the table, my friend, but go ahead. (laughs) Another really great fire tender is Fritos or any snack chip that's fried in oil. When you combine like a corn and an oil, it makes a really great fire tender. Just one bag of Fritos that is conveniently packed in a waterproof bag can make a campfire that you can't put out in even the worst conditions. Really? Well, so so you light your food on fire if you if you got Fritos. So you light your food on. That's right. You got your priorities straight in survival. You know, food's last, fire's first. So light that stuff on fire before you eat it for sure. And what's the best? I mean, obviously, if you if you can't find a, a ready, if you're out in, uh, let's assume we're in, what would it be, uh, coniferous forest in, you know, let's say, uh, you know, the northern United States somewhere. Uh, yeah. If you can't find a creek, a stream, or lake nearby, what do you do about the water situation? I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I see in movies with the guys in the jungle, they hack off a uh, like a vine yeah. or something, and they sort of try to drink some of the uh, condensation yep. or some of the the bill. I mean, is there anything you can do like that? There's there's truth in that. You know, you can drink uh, the water from vines. Grapevine is probably your most reliable source. But as long as the water from a vine isn't milky and it doesn't stink and it doesn't have a strong like rancid flavor it's probably good to drink you know another great source of drinkable water in the wild is from trees like the maple tree or the birch tree when you cut like this time of year if you went out and and put your knife or put a hole into a maple or a birch tree it's going to start dripping sap which is 100 percent drinkable Huh. Drink the sap. There we go. I had I I, I hadn't thought of that one. Um, but you how do you really how unique? Do, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, you know, a really unique water source that most people don't think of is dew that condenses on grass in the morning. You know, you go out to get your mail in the morning, you walk through your yard and your socks are soaked. That water is 100% drinkable. You just gotta, you just gotta soak it up with like a t-shirt or a bandana or your socks and wring it out. Believe it or not, with one bandana on a heavy dew morning, you can collect up to three gallons of dew in one hour, and it's 100% drinkable. Huh. There we go. All right. Yeah. I'm feeling a little better about my prospects if I get lost out in the middle of the woods by myself. Although I'm. Yeah. Still not not great. I, you guys would much rather have Creek than me. I'll tell you that. Um, but uh, the uh, I want to ask about drinking water from streams and creeks and things like that. I, I think we all have this perception. Oh, well, if it's not Brita filtered, you're going to get super sick. Um, how how do you know or, or can you know uh, what, what are the sort of the tells as to whether you could just sort of stick your head in the water and you know take a few gulps and not end up with Giardia or something? Well, you don't know. All of those biological organisms are microscopic. You can't see them. So obviously it's not recommended to drink wild water without purification because of exactly what you mentioned, Giardia or Cryptosporidium. However, if your option is die of thirst or drink the water, you always drink the water. The good news is it takes typically three to four days for any of those illnesses from waterborne pathogens to set in. 
So a lot of the times, if you drink bad water in a survival scenario, hopefully you're going to be rescued by the time you get really sick. Ah, I see. So you're kind of rolling the dice on that one. You figure you got to you got to go with. By the way, if you have limited water, better to ration it or to like hydrate and then let your body process. What's better if you've only got like a if you got a, you know, just one of those. What is it? Nalgene bottles on you full of water. That's yeah. all you've got. Uh, you don't know when you're going to get picked up. Do you want to sort of hydrate and, and get on the move or just take little sips? Well, if it's a reliable container uh, that's not that's not flimsy or going to bust, I would say you, you don't want to ration it to the point where you're just sipping. You want to drink normally. The best storage container for any water you have is your body. So drink normally. There's no sense in rationing uh, unless unless you have a really flimsy container that could potentially burst. Then you want to just get all that water in your system as fast as possible. One more I got to get in here before we're going to go to a break in a minute. Uh, if you're confronted by a bear in the wild, Creek, yeah, you sound like a guy who knows how to handle bears. What do you do? Yeah, you, it, it depends on if it's a brown bear or a black bear. Let's take the most popular bear in North America, the, the black bear. Uh, black bear, they typically attack out of a defensive attack, which means you've either startled it, you've gotten in between it and its cubs, or you've come up on it while it's eating. It's, it's protecting a food source. Black bears, unlike grizzly bears, brown bears, respond to aggression. So if you're getting charged by a black bear, you want to yell, you want to scream, you want to throw stuff, you want to wave your jacket. Unlike a brown bear, a grizzly bear, which does not respond to aggression, it's, it's, it, it, it's, its response is to be more aggressive. So black bear attacks, you want to be absolutely be aggressive with that bear because mo more times than not they're going to respond by running off and i and i will say bear attacks are so extremely rare they're almost negligible yeah yeah no, I've, uh, I've i've been around some grizzlies in the wild and uh and seen a few black bears too and usually they just want to go about their business yeah. uh you have a couple quick tips for if you are caught in a hurricane or a, se a severe storm what do you do well, I'll tell you what, if you, if, let's, say, let's say a storm knocks out your power, knocks out your lights. That's not hard to imagine at all. I, I grew up in southern Indiana where there was always a big can of Crisco in our pantry. Believe it or not, if you take a strip of T-shirt material or a piece of a cotton mop head and shove it down in the middle of a can of Crisco and light it, that's a candle that will burn 30 days straight. Hmm. Wow. You believe that? Look at that. 30 days. I, 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 now, I do because you're telling me, but I did not know that. You could cook over it. You can use it for light. You could close off a room and even use that Crisco candle that's going to burn for 30 days as heat. So how do you do it again? If you have Crisco, you just. Yeah. So you got a big tub of Crisco. You take a strip of T-shirt material, you know, about a foot long, and you take a stick or a ruler and jam it right down in the middle of that can of Crisco, just like a wick on a candle. And then All right, you and you make that. a make a Crisco candle that'll burn for thirty days. That's kind of awesome. That's I might right. just try that out just because. Hey, Creek you know, Stewart is a survival expert, everybody, and he's a lead instructor at the Willow Haven Outdoor Survival School in Central Indiana. He's the author of many books, including Survival Hacks: Over Two Hundred Ways to Use Everyday Items for Wilderness Survival. Available on Amazon.com right now. Creek, thank you so much, sir. Have a great weekend. Appreciate you, Buck. You too. Team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. We have Joe in California. Let's bring him on real quick. Joe, I got about 30 seconds for you, but you've been on hold. What's up? Shield tied. Happy New Year, Buck. Happy New Year. Uh, so I'm, uh, I survived the great unfriending of 2016, and I'm working on my 2017 white guy resolutions. But since there's not much time left, my phone's about to die. I've got an action movie quote for you. I'm not sure. I, I, you know, it's got shooting and dri- and explosions and drive chases, but I, I don't know based on your criteria whether or not you will consider it an action movie. But the quote is, you got the guts, drop the gun. You got Which the is guts, a precursor the to gun? the most awesome fight in the history of uh, movie making. Yeah, you, you got, got the, the guts, guts drop, drop the gun. gun? Yep. Uh, Commando. No, Jackie Chan, Rumble in the Bronx. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, yeah that's kind of martial arts. I don't know if that's action, well, dude. it is, it Joe, is, but it does have explosions. It does have some machine gun uh, fire. There are lots of big guys. And why? There's so many great action cases. movies. Why does everybody want to expand the definition of action movie? Oh, but Joe, good to hear from you, my friend, as always. Shields high, and thank you for calling in with a quote. You did stump me, but... We'll have to talk about whether martial arts is technically action. I think it's its own genre. Team, I'll be with you Monday and every day next week. Excited to be back in the Freedom Hut. Until then, no matter what happens, have a great weekend and keep your shields high. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.